0: Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with Worldwide Impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Welcome to this Bible lesson. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 1-4, to 4, the apostle whom Jesus loved gets our study for today off to a great start with a warning that will come in handy in the days ahead. Here's what he has to say. He says, Beloved. And anytime you see Beloved in the Bible, he's talking about believers in Christ, divinely loved ones. Believers in Christ are divinely loved unconditionally by God. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. The Greek word for test the spirits is dokimazo. And we're going to see that word come up a lot of times in the passage that we're going to study today. Dokimazo. And what does it mean? It means discerning... If the spirits are true or false, discerning if they're real or fake, to see whether the spirits are from God the Father. How do you know when you get a message, whether it's from God or from Satan? There are only two places that every message comes from. They come from God or they come from Satan. They're designed to edify you or they're designed to destroy you. So, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether the spirits are from God the Father because many false prophets have gone out in the world. What does that mean? Spirits with a small s are referring to to false prophets. There are false teachers, messengers of Satan, the enemy of God, who exist to deceive. Roman Catholic priests are not messengers from God. They are messengers from Satan and they are deceivers. They are teaching about another Jesus, a false Jesus. And if you tell that to a Catholic, what a Catholic ought to do, since this is an eternal matter, is they ought to investigate whether that's true or not. But that's not what people will do. What people will do is exactly the opposite. When they're dead wrong, they will dig in and and get even more right about their wrongness. That's exactly what people do. They don't question, they don't investigate, and then the next thing you know, they're duck soup. So, spirits with a small s are referring to false prophets, false teachers, messengers of Satan, the enemy of God who exists, to deceive, 1 John 4, 2. By this discernment, testing whether the spirits are from God or from Satan, is how you know the Holy Spirit of God, because how do you know? How do you know us from God, or how do you know us from Satan? Because every spirit, true teachers, that confess that Jesus Christ is God, that Jesus Christ is deity, and that he has come in the flesh, is a spirit from God the Father. Therefore, your teacher is a true spirit. I am not a false teacher. And why that sign is hanging over my head is to let you know I'm not a false teacher. Because Jesus Christ is God. Do I care if you agree with that or not? I don't. Because your opinion is only valuable to the degree that it is in line with the truth of the Word of God. And that's in the Word of God, and this is God's exact thinking. So I don't care what your opinion is about it. I hope your opinion is accurate. I hope you think that Jesus Christ is God and I hope you know that I am not a false teacher. And I have been a false teacher in my life. So I know what false teachers do and what they do is they teach false doctrine. But the difference between me and most false teachers is when I find out I'm wrong, I'll stand in front of you and say, "You know what? What I was teaching you is wrong. Here's what's right." And most false teachers in their wrongness will keep on in their wrongness. Not me. I want to know the truth. I want y'all down the hill looking up and saying, I wish I could just get my hands on him one time. And I'd be up in heaven saying, but you can't. Because I'm up here and you're down here. And between us, there's a great chasm fixed. So that you can't cross over here and we can't come over to you. na 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 boo boo <laughs> So, yeah. So... How do you discern that a teacher is from the Holy Spirit of God? Because they teach that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, God taking on the form of mankind. That's a spirit from God the Father. 1 John chapter 4, verse 3, And every spirit that does not confess Jesus Christ as God is not from God the Father. This other spirit is the spirit of those who are anti-Christ, not to be confused with the antichrist. Someone who is anti-Christ in this age, the church age, is someone who rejects a relationship with Jesus Christ, somebody who is against Christ. Of which spirits, these false spirits, you have heard that it's coming, and now you've heard this spirit of rejecting Christ is already in the world. It is. The world is Antichrist. In the next age, there will be a person who is the Antichrist. He does not show up in the church age. There will be a person who is the Antichrist that everyone will worship. And his center of operation will be Rome. Oh, go figure. Nice property in Rome. But it will not be Roman Catholicism. First John chapter four, verse four, all of you believers in Christ are from God, the father. You are dear little children of God, divinely loved ones, and all of you have overcome the spirit that is in the world, the false teacher spirit, because greater is he who is indwelling you. You have Christ in you. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. What a great way to get this off to a great start. Well, the election, and it is Trump and Biden, They're not, you don't have to worry about people. They're just people. God can turn off their lights in five seconds. You don't have to worry about people. You don't have to worry about what environment you're living in. You don't have to worry about what circumstances you're in, because you have a God who's going to provide regardless. So we don't worry about any of that stuff. At Barah Ministries, we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God. And as the Lord, he is 100% deity, he is God the Son, a member of the triune Godhead who saw it as his job to come and to execute the plan of God the Father. He is also 100% human, just like you and me, and his name is Jesus Christ. The Lord, God the Son, became flesh, Jesus Christ, and he lived among us. He is the uniquely born one. What makes him unique? He is 100% God and 100% man and one person forever. Nobody else is like that. He is the sovereign God of the universe and nothing happens in the universe without his permission, including your birth, your death, and your everything that happens to you in this life. And he is the Jewish Messiah. At Barah Ministries, we make a difference by teaching the word of God from God's perspective and not from man's perspective. And as those who make Barah Ministries our spiritual home, we are Christians. And being a Christian means that we believe in the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with him. God has an enemy, though, Satan. Ninety percent of people don't believe that Satan exists. They think it's a concept. And this Satan, the enemy of God, was made the ruler of this world by God. He is a liar who deceives the whole world, including you and me. He doesn't want us to get to know God, and he interferes with our chance to know God. What do you mean he deceives you and me? He deceives you and me because this is the most important thing that you do every week. But if I asked you what the most important thing you do every week is, this wouldn't be first on your list. All the deceptions would be first on your list. Well, I got to have a job and I got to get some money and, uh. Well, Satan doesn't want us to get to know God. He interferes with our chance to know God. And his strategy against the human race is religion, which is designed to make us either indifferent or antagonistic to God. Religion deceives many into thinking they're saved when they might not be. And it works. Well, the Word of God is truth, and it informs us about Satan's insidious deceptions. As believers in Christ, we're in union with Christ, and we have the victory over Satan through our Lord, who has overcome the world. Today's Bible lesson, the Lord doesn't take mistreatment among believers lightly. The Lord doesn't take mistreatment among believers lightly. How do you treat people? That's the question I have for you. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you know that the Lord loves you unconditionally. And even though you may forget it at times, you know the truth of Romans chapter 8, verse 1, which says, Therefore, with all these things in Romans chapter 7, verses 15 to 25 being the case, believers need to remember that there is now no condemnation for those who are in union with Christ. What Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 7, verses 15 to 25 is that. There are all these things he wants to do as a believer in Christ that he doesn't do. In fact, he finds himself practicing the very things he doesn't want to do. In other words, he wants to stop sinning and he doesn't. And he found then the principle that evil was present in him, the one who wanted to do good. Can Paul get an amen? Amen. Does that happen to you too? It's too bad, it don't happen to me. I couldn't even relate to this chapter 7. I can't wait to get up to heaven and say, what was that about, man? I don't even, I don't even know. <laughs> so anyway, the Lord sees believers in Christ the same way he sees himself, as holy and blameless. And he made us that way. And that doesn't mean that the Lord is willing to tolerate it when believers in Christ mistreat each other. So the Lord has a message for those of us who think we're all that in a bag of chips. For those of us who think it's okay to mistreat other believers, Matthew chapter 25, verses 34 to 40 say this. Then the king, the Lord Jesus Christ, will say to those on his right, believers in Christ, Come, you who are the blessed ones of, God my, uh, of my God and Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world, prepared for you by me, passive voice, prepared for you by the lord. Matthew 25:35 For I, the Lord Jesus Christ, was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Matthew 25:36 I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Matthew 25:37 Then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or when do we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? Matthew 25:38. And when do we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or when do we see you naked and clothe you? Matthew 25:39. And when do we see you sick or in prison and come to you? Matthew 25:40, and the king will answer and say to them, "Truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me." How come somebody didn't get on TV and read that? Oh, uh, you know, it's about time that we got united in our country. Okay, well, why doesn't somebody get on, get on the TV and say, here's how we would be united? How we treat the least in our society is how we're treating God. Why doesn't somebody say that? Because we live in a country that doesn't care about God, that's why. A country that was founded on the principles of God now doesn't care about God. Because everything else is more important than God. Let's not have God in school. If we have God in school, let's have Muslim God in school. Let's have Allah in school. By the way, there's a separation of church and state. Church is church, and school is school. That's the way the Bible sees it. So how about if we just bring our kids to church and then let the people at school do what they do? Oh, that's right. We can't go to school anymore. We have to do it online. Now, parents have to turn into expert teachers as well as babysitters. Well, the believers in Corinth were mistreating each other. The haves, the elites, were mistreating the have-nots, the poor. Well, in today's lesson, Paul tells us how the Lord deals with his believers when they mistreat each other. And he does not take that stuff lightly. All right, let's hear some music. Quite often it looks like our enemies are winning. Does it look like that sometimes? Does it look like our enemies are winning? You know why God lets our enemies win here on earth? Because most of them are going to be in the lake of fire. So this is their heaven. (laughs) Isn't that cool? He's so good, so fair. Well, when he was just a shepherd boy, David knew that this was not the case, that our enemies were not winning. He was so confident in the Lord that he brought a rock to a sword fight. David went up against Goliath, who was nine feet tall. And in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 46 and 47, David said to Goliath, and by the way, people have always criticized me over the course of my lifetime for smack talking. And they've always talked about how, you know, you shouldn't be talking smack. You ought to just play the game and be humble. Let's hear it. Let's hear David's little humble speech here in first Samuel chapter 17, verse 46. He's talking to a nine foot tall giant with a slingshot and five rocks. He says this day, the Lord will deliver you, Goliath, into my hands. And I, David, will strike you down, and I will cut your head off. And I will give the dead bodies of the army that's with you, the Philistines, this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth. And they will eat you, and all the earth will know that there is a God in Israel. 1 Samuel I did. I got so excited I didn't even put that verse up, but there it is. <laughs> if you want to see that verse, I got because I like smack talk. I like David smack talking. First Samuel, <laughs> First Samuel, seventeen forty-seven. They do, <laughs> and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hands. That's smack talk. All right, so what political party is going to do something to you that the Lord doesn't know how to deliver you from? Please tell me. What is it that's going to happen to you that the Lord can't deliver you from? Nothing. So change your attitude. So as believers in Christ, we take the advice of Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. It says, stop worrying about anything. Instead, in everything, by prayer and petition, with an attitude of thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God the Father. What are requests to God the Father called? Prayers. Prayers, Amen. (coughs) That's smack talking too. Because God expects us to come boldly with the prayers. He doesn't want little mealy-mouthed people going, I know you don't want to grant this, but... Could I talk to you about something? I don't have enough money to pay my bills. Yeah, well, if you stop spending the money on wine, (laughs) pay your rent, stop buying wine. (laughs) But I like wine. All right, well, I'll get you some more money. Here's Aaron Cole along with Toby Mac to remind us that when we're in trouble, the Lord is always right on time.
1: Don't worry. Just lay it down, it's not your fight. Don't worry, it'll be alright. Don't worry, it will make your heavy light. Don't worry do all, worry at all. This love is always right on time. I've been trying to figure out my own way. Try to put it all on me Way down by the pressure Without looking up, I know you see me Cause on and on and on you keep blessing me But on and on and on I keep worrying Why I'm always running when you're telling me you telling me don't worry Just lay it down, it's not your fight. Don't worry It'll be alright
2: got the shoulders for the burdens I'm bearing, broke down, and pulling over by the wayside. Was never made for this type of way, so I throw my hands up and my load gets lighter. I throw my hands up and then burn
1: like fire. Float up to heaven like the smoke in the air. I flip my worries in the pan, leave them right there. do just lay it down, it's not your fight. Don't worry, it'll be alright. Through God's eyes, a look, see. if you can only see him through God's eyes, uh, yeah. Uh, I know you're promising God's eyes, uh, if you can see him through God's eyes, look, uh, yeah. He's right on time, right on time. Don't fight, don't fight. Just it down is not, not your fight, it's not your fight.
0: Grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for the uncertainty that comes with living in Satan's kingdom. Thank you for letting us be subject to tyranny so we can distinguish between the slavery of this world and the freedom you offer. Thank you for putting us through a spiritual gymnasium in the world so that we can grow to maturity through the direction set by God the Holy Spirit. Check our attitudes, Father. Help us to think and to act like free people in this struggle. Help us to demonstrate the payoff of our faith in you. Let us be examples of hope to others, not as if we are worthy or perfect in any way, but as if we are excellent reflections of you and your Son and the Spirit dwelling in us. We ask this through the power of God the Spirit, God the God Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, the Lord doesn't take mistreatment among believers lightly. The Lord doesn't take mistreatment among believers lightly. So the question I have for you is, how do you treat other believers in Christ? Other believers in Christ are your brethren. And we were placed into a unity at the moment of salvation by God, a unity that we could not achieve on our own. And so now the question is, how do you treat those people? There are a lot of people who have come and gone from Barah Ministries. And their faces come into my mind on a regular basis. And they just kind of rejected me and rejected Barah Ministries and went on their own way. And I look at their lives and what they've done, a lot of them has gone to these cotton candy churches where they can hide, where they don't get any real truth inculcated into their souls. They don't get any real peace. And do I, does it bother me that they rejected me and rejected Baran Ministries? It doesn't, because we're in unity. We're going to live in heaven together forever. There's nothing they can do to get out of that situation. And luckily, we're not going to remember any of the stupid stuff that we did down here, because God's going to wipe all that stuff out of our head. Isn't that nice? Amen. All right, so why don't we start the wipeout process while we're down here? Why do not we not hold things against people? Why don't we stop holding it against the people that are closest to us that they act like absolute idiots most of the time? Why don't we stop holding that against them? Why don't we become the reflection of God? Why instead do we think we can have control over another individual and in that we're going to be the person who's going to direct them and their will to, and, and conform it to our will when we can't even conform our own will to the plans that we have for ourselves? Okay, yes, yeah, so you married somebody who's goofy. All right? You knew they were goofy when you married them. Don't, don't act like you didn't. Don't act like you didn't know what was wrong with them in the first place. You got into a relationship with somebody, don't act like you didn't know. Don't act like you didn't see it just because you wanted you you believed what Aesop said. You know. Once upon a time there were three little bears and the Goldilocks and they lived happily ever after. Okay. All right, so you believe that? Oh yeah, the princess was laying on a bunch of mattresses and she was the one because she could feel the pee underneath all the mattresses and the handsome prince. And you believe that? How many weddings are there going to be today where that crap is being acted out to the tune of about $75,000 that should be going as a down payment on a house? Amen? Yeah. Why do you say we're deceived by Satan? Because that's, that's a deception. When you get married, you ain't going to live happily ever after. You're going to live miserably ever after. Amen? The re- Look, the real question. <laughs> Amen? Look, and hey, all right, don't listen to me. I'm, I'm a two-time failure. Purple heart, purple heart. Don't listen to me. Listen, listen to a couple who's been married for 58 years. Let's get them up here and let them tell you how it really is. It's hard. That's how it really is. Because relationships with people are hard. Well, Pastor, why are you being negative about marriage? I'm not being negative about marriage. I'm being truthful about marriage. I was in the game. It's hard. You know why it's hard? Because people are in it. (laughs) And you know why else it's hard? Because you're in it. And you make it hard. Because you don't want to just deal with what is, which is you're with somebody you cannot control who is going to make mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake. And if you don't have unconditional love, forgiveness, and grace, you can't be in a relationship. You shouldn't have gotten in it in the first place. Now, I can't tell you how many weddings I've done where the two people are sitting there with this stupid look on their face, thinking that they're sitting next to somebody who is above human, and they aren't, and they find it out real quick. No, marriages are just, who do you want to fight it out with? And to to coin the, the thoughts of one of the people I respect most in the world, Monica Miller, all marriages don't suck. They don't. Some are really good. What makes them good? No matter what makes them good. The willingness to fight it out makes them good. The willingness to not quit makes them good. All right? So what's that all about? Treatment. How do you treat other people? Do you treat them with the forgiveness and unconditional love and grace that they deserve to have from you as a reflection of your Savior who had the same attitude toward you at the cross, who knew that you were not worthy of being saved? that you were a sinner, an ungodly, unrighteous, unloving sinner who was not worthy of being saved, and yet he went to the cross for you anyway. Do you reflect that mindset? Oh, by the way, have I mentioned there's no condemnation for those who are in union with Christ? So put your rubber hoses away, people. I ain't condemning you. I'm axing you. A-X-I-N-G. Amen? <laughs> Just axing you. What's your attitude? Because that's what we're, we're studying here, in case you forgot. You know, we spent 70 hours studying 1 Corinthians, and we're finishing up chapter 11 today. We've got five chapters to go. probably take us another six months. But in our study of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse by verse, in the passage under study, you'll notice a structure. And We're talking about the Lord's Supper, and the structure is that in verses 17 to 22, there's this selfish mistreatment and disunity present in the church at Corinth. Why? Because there are the haves and the have-nots. There are the Scottsdale people, and there's everybody else. And the Scottsdale people think they're all that. You know, they stroll into church. Here's a Scottsdale person coming into church with sunglasses on. Oh, hello. You know, uh, I'm from Scottsdale. The only thing, you got to make your nose really long. I'm from Scottsdale. You know, do you know American Airlines in Chicago? They, you know, if you're flying from Chicago to Phoenix, it, they should have Phoenix up there. They don't. They have Phoenix and Scottsdale. <laughs> you know how that happened, right? The elite. Well, I'm not really flying to Phoenix. I'm flying to Scottsdale. <laughs> and so now it's up there. All right. All right. You're going to Phoenix. You're going to land in Phoenix. You're going to be right in the middle of it. <laughs> Living in Scottsdale, all that means is you pay an extra $150,000 to be pretentious when you buy a house. That's all it means. So that's what was going on in the church in Corinth. So, just so you don't think that Corinth was the only place where that happened, it's happening today. In Phoenix, Phoenix is a city of haves and have nots. Our church is a have not land, Mesa. <laughs> <laughs> Where's your church? Mesa. Oh. <laughs> oh, what? Oh, I don't know that I can come over to Mesa. Isn't it dangerous? It's kind of ghetto. <laughs> All right. Well, I grew up in the ghetto. I'm comfortable with it. If y'all ain't comfortable, you just have to wait till we get in Gilbert and our three million dollar facility. <laughs> but it'll still be Gilbert, not Scott. So anyway, so in this chapter 11, there's this selfish mistreatment and disunity present between the haves and the have-nots, and so Paul wants to get it corrected because he's been asked to correct it by Chloe's people, and he is, in the second part, given instructions about what the Lord told him about the Lord's Supper, and what the Lord told him about the Lord's Supper is that it is a time of unity. And it is a time to reflect on sacrifice. It is not a time for you to be thinking that you're better than other people in the service. And then the third part, which is what we're going to study today, is Paul saying, here's how the Lord handles mistreatment among the brethren. And see, you know, I've got friends who are believers in Christ who have mistreated me over the years. They can't understand for the life of them why I have no desire to talk to them again, after they have obliterated the trust that we had. Trust that was given as a gift. I have zero desire to take myself down that funky road again. Because you give people chances over and over and over and over and over and over and over over again. And they keep doing exactly the thing that a tyrant does over and over and over again. And then at a point you just say, enough's enough. God does that too. He says enough's enough in relationships. At a point. But not for his believers. And so who he's talking to now is believers. And he's saying, hey, don't be coming together at Lord's Supper time and forgetting the cross. Look up at that cross and think about who you really are inside. You know who I am inside as a person and as a pastor? We play it. It's going to be the last song after this section. We play it every week. I'm just a nobody. What does Barah mean in Barah Ministries? To speak something into existence from nothing. That's what God does with us. I'm a nobody. I don't think I'm all that. I'm quite certain of all the things that I'm not. And I don't ever let myself get ahead of myself. I have a a thing on my desk that it says, if a man thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Galatians chapter 6, verse 3. When I walk out of my office door, there are two divorce decrees on the wall and a purple heart to remind me who I'm not. Amen. Now, once I get come to terms with who I'm not, then I get to think about who made me something. And that was my God who made me something when he placed me in the God the Holy Spirit placed me in a union with Christ and God the Father had a plan to invite me to salvation a billion years ago. And that makes me somebody who when I close my eyes in this life you're going to hear about it and you're not going to be sad. you can be sad if I'm inviting you over to dinner and feeding you every once in a while and I'm like, damn, I really like going over to his house and eating and spilling barbecue sauce all over his couch. <laughs> damn. I'm going to miss that. <laughs> but, but you're going to know that I'm in heaven. See? And that's what makes me something. Was certainly not anything that could ever be attributed to me. And so in this passage, Paul is rebuking the conduct of the Corinthians because they're not treating each other well. What is a rebuke? It's an expression of very strong disapproval. It's a reprimand. So here's what we studied so far, and then we'll get into the passage for today. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. In giving this instruction about women and their headwear when praying and prophesying... In the first 16 verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I, Paul, do not praise you, Corinthian believers, because you come together as a church, not for the betterment, not for the good of all of you, but you come together for the worst. You come together to mistreat each other. What's wrong with you? For in the first place, 1 Corinthians eleven eighteen. for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear the divisions exist among you. And I believe the report. 1 Corinthians eleven nineteen. for it's inevitable because of you, that there have to be factions among you, divisions, be, that you're causing so that those who are elite may become evident again, uh, among you, right? When we got the fancy car, we always got to be showing it up. Well, will I drive a Lexus. And nobody care Whether you got a Lexus or a Hugo. they get one place to the other, it doesn't even matter. It's just... You know, if you got a Lexus, you pay way too much for gas, you pay way too much for the car, and the depreciation after it drives off the lot goes down way faster. Nobody cares. First Corinthians 11.20. And see, that's the whole thing. When you find out that you've got cancer, how much does your bank account matter? Matters in that you're going to be giving them a lot of it away for chemo, that's why we don't have a cure for cancer. Cancer is too good a, buis- is it too good a business. Nobody going to kill that cancer business to find a cure. Say again? Of course, it's, it'd be easy. You know, they've already determined that cancer cannot live in an alkaline place. Cancer lives in an acidic place. So you just changed your diet to alkaline. Cancer couldn't live in your body. They know. It's not hard. All the money that's been put in place. I mean, there's genetic stuff, don't get me wrong, but they know. 1 Corinthians 11.20. Therefore, Paul continues, When you meet together, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 11.21. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first in front of everyone else. And one is hungry, the poor ones with no food or less food. And another is drunk, the elite ones who come with their expensive wine. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-two. Wait, what? Do you, don't you have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing, the have-nots? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this matter, I will not praise you. That's what we studied already. That was the first passage. Now the second part, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. For I, Paul, received from the Lord as the authoritative source in the matter, that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus Christ in the night in which he was betrayed by Judas and through his treacherous wickedness, the night he was handed over to a corrupt government, the night he was served up for slaughter, Jesus took a loaf of bread, a single loaf of bread, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four. And when Jesus had given thanks, he broke the bread and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Keep on doing this sacrifice in remembrance of me. 1 Corinthians 11.25. And in the same way, Jesus also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant, a new testament in my blood. Keep on doing this, and as often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Why? Why? 1 Corinthians 11.26 For as often as you eat this bread representing my body and as often as you drink this cup representing my blood as part of the Lord's Supper celebration you proclaim to the world as a reality and you announce to the world the significance of my death on the cross and my resurrection from the dead until I come again at the second coming. All right. so those are the first two. It's like, okay, you guys are mistreating each other But the Lord's Supper isn't about mistreatment. It's about sacrifice, not selfishness. So Paul is asking, what's up with this? And he's asking, do you think that God's going to just do nothing about this? Do you think he's not going to do something with you? Because he is. He's not going to stand for this. And so when we come back for the break, we'll take the offering, and then we'll hear how the Lord handles mistreatment among believers. And what I want you thinking about is who the believers in Christ are in your life and how you're mistreating them. I want you to be thinking about all the stuff that you're holding on to that prevents you from putting the past in the past and going into a relationship in a new way. Because there's nothing more important than repotting yourself in your own relationship. Because relationships get stale. Why do they get stale? Because you, you do the same thing the Corinthians are doing at the Lord's Supper celebration. You're taking them for granted. And one date night a month ain't going to cut it. Amen? Amen? So what are you going to do to make sure your relationship is fresh every moment? What are you going to do to put the past in the past, to bury the dead stuff, And not to be bringing it and beating somebody over the head with it as you go through life. What are you going to do to be alive from this point forward? Because that's what our God expects of us. He didn't go to the cross so we could sit around with our thumbs in our mouths, curled up in the fetal position, beating ourselves up. He went to the cross so that we could have life and have it abundantly. The resurrection life. So let's take a five minute break and when we come back, we'll see how he treats believers who mistreat other believers.
2: Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery All my life I've been told I belong At the end of the line With all the other not quite We'll all I never get it right But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time Cause I'm just a nobody Trying to tell everybody All about somebody Who saved my soul Ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song to sing I'm living for the world For the world to see nobody but Jesus.
1: When Moses had stage fright, and David brought a rock to a sword fight, you picked 12 outsiders, nobody would have chosen, and you changed the world. Well, the moral of the story is everybody's got a purpose. So when I hear that, Stop talking to me, saying, who do you think you are? I say, I'm
2: just a nobody, trying to tell everybody, all about somebody, who saved my soul. Ever since
3: you rescued
2: me, you gave my heart a song to sing, I'm living for the world to see, nobody but Jesus. For the world to see Nobody but you
0: Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, The Lord Doesn't Take Mistreatment Among Believers Lightly. The Lord Doesn't Take Mistreatment Among Believers Lightly. Freely you have received everything from the Lord Jesus Christ. From your everything, freely give, because the Lord loves a gracious giver. Let the offering be a time when you are generous on behalf of those who can't afford the resources to study the Word of God. At Barah Ministries, no price is placed on anything we have. God is gracious to us, and through your contributions, we can be gracious to others. We offer them Bibles, publications, a website, lessons, an app, all of which cost a lot of money. And yet, when you engage in anything at Barah Ministries, it costs you not a penny. And that's because of you and your contributions which offer resources without charge to a lost and dying world. So we thank you for your generosity. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with today's offering message.
4: Good morning. morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Barah Ministries. Barah Ministries is a worldwide Christian church. It's a place where... Real people come to listen to a real pastor, teach the real truth from the Word of God. And why do we come here to hear the truth? So that we're not deceived by Satan. And it's so easy to be deceived. I feel like a lot of times pastor comes up here and he he tells you what God wants. And I'm the one that comes up here and tells you stuff about Satan. (laughs) I don't know if there's something more to that or not, but... I was just thinking a lot, you know, recently, you know, just with all the COVID stuff and now the politics and the election, you just, everybody's so full of emotion. We've got fear, worry, anxiety. We don't know what's going on. And it's, it made me think a lot more about emotion this week, especially in our relationships. You know, if look at pastor, he's, he still can't let that barbecue sauce go. <laughs> Cause, yeah, and, that,
5: that is... <laughs> and the interesting
4: thing about it, when you think about it is emotion has twofold because he's probably bitter and a little angry. And he's mad at her, and he's probably jealous or, you know, angry that she never fixed it. So it's one of those things where it kind of, it twofolds, it it, it adds on itself. And, you know, you think about it, like, what is smack talk that gets people emotional, right? You get in their head, they get in their feelings, and then they they start getting off their their game. They don't know what they're doing, and that's what Satan does to us. And, you know, you think about it, what kind of emotion do we have towards God? We don't really, really ever think about that. You know, do you ever think, "Oh man, I love you God so much. Thank you so much for getting me through that." We don't really do that. We just get through it, we move on. And you know, I was looking in the Bible to see what does the Bible have to say about emotion. And I saw in Proverbs chapter 19 verse 11, "A man's discretion makes him slow to anger, and it is his and it is his glory to overlook a transgression." But that's hard to do, right? We don't think of unconditional love and forgiveness. We think of anger and bitterness and revenge. We see in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 17, a quick-tempered man acts foolishly, and a man of evil devices is hated. So somebody that plans out an attack or a revenge is that man of evil devices. That person is hated. So you see like somebody, how emotion can create so much volatility within relationships. You know, Say if somebody treats you bad in a relationship, what do you do? You're bitter towards them. You have self-pity for yourself, and you're probably angry at God. It's the trifecta. It's Satan's way of doing the trichotomous emotional effect on us and kind of getting us off track. And so what did you guys think when I was coming up here? Oh, I hate this guy. Jesus, he's money every day, every week. So, right, you know, the emotion, it's right here in this, in this offering. So I just, want you to, I just want to remember you to focus on it and, and get it out of your head and think of unconditional love and forgiveness and grace rather than fear, anxiety, bitterness, hatred, or just self-pity. It's so easy to get in those things. So let's, that's why we're here, to hear the truth. So just remember, if emotion is driving your, your life, then you're probably off track. So that's why it's good to come here and listen to the truth and get our mentality straight. And remember that God is in control of our lives and he's in, he, he's in control of, of history. Not us, not Trump, President Trump, not Biden, Hayden Biden. Not in any of those guys are going are gonna to treat us. So let's just remember to not, get, not dwell in emotion and dwell in Jesus. And thank you for your consistent giving because it allows other people to not get caught up in the deceptions of Satan with emotion and all the devices and everything that he has schemed for us. So thank you for your consistent giving and hit it, Zach.
3: I no, no.
0: Welcome back to today's Bible lesson. The Lord doesn't make take mistreatment among believers lightly. The Lord does not take mistreatment among believers lightly. Thanks for a great offering message, Deacon Denny. You know, I, I, I really don't have bitterness and anger in my soul. It's just a lack of understanding on my part because the couch is about three feet and the floor is about 100 feet. If you're going to spill the barbecue sauce, can't you spill it on the floor? Not on the $5,000 freshly recovered couch. That's what I'm thinking. God did not want it on the floor. God wanted it on the couch so he could see if his pastor had any unconditional love, forgiveness, and grace. And the answer is, no, he does not. Amen? All right, so let's study the final part of this passage in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse by verse. Starting at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord during the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner shall be liable for the body and the blood of the Lord. Ooh, how'd you like to get, a, get the last passage off to a great start? Now, this is Greek Fest. The next several verses are Greek fest. There's so many Greek words in here. And if you don't know what those Greek words really mean, you will flip in your head. Because whenever you hear the word unworthy, for example, immediately we connect it to ourselves. But notice what this says. It says, therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord during the Lord's supper in an unworthy manner. It's not talking about a person. It's talking about conduct. That conduct is liable for the body and the blood of the Lord. Well, what exactly does that mean? Because that's a pretty serious comment. Doing something in an unworthy manner means doing something that is not a reflection of the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, you'll have to ask yourself, well, what reflects the character of the Lord Jesus Christ? Unconditional love, forgiveness, and grace. Notice that the Lord is talking about the deed and not the doer. He's not talking about the believers in Christ. He's not talking about their identity. They are holy and blameless. They are saints. They're in union with Christ. They're redeemed. They're reconciled. They're expiated. They're atoned for. He's not talking about the people. He's talking about what the people are thinking, which is being manifest in what they're doing. That's what he's talking about. Yet we still do things... You know, There's no condemnation for those of us who are in union with Christ, yet we still do things as believers in Christ that are reprehensible. And I I just don't think that people who are one-sided in their viewpoint are ever, ever able to stop and just look at their reprehensible conduct toward others. They're always talking about others as if others are the problem. Now, don't get me wrong. There are a lot of people in our lives who are a problem, who don't know how to treat people either. And so you get this unending cycle of people mistreating each other. And quite frequently, the toy in that game, for example, in marriage relationships that are broken up, the toy in the game is the kids. And they are either a toy or a weapon. That is not how believers in Christ ought to treat each other. That's not a reflection of the character and nature of the Lord. See, the Lord's character is sacrificial and unifying. And you don't have to have anybody else's cooperation to be sacrificial and unifying. You can be sacrificial and unifying towards somebody who's completely the opposite. So the Corinthian believers were not reflecting the Lord during the Lord's Supper celebration because they were being selfish and divisive. And the purpose of the Lord's Supper is to promote unity among the brethren. And to engage in disunity is unworthy conduct. Now what does it mean to be liable for the body and blood of Christ? That is to act in a way that makes you responsible for misconduct that was just as serious as the conduct of those who led the Lord to to his crucifixion. Do you think the Lord takes it seriously when a believer mistreats a believer? If he's thinking, you are acting the exact same way as the people who led me to the cross and slaughtered me, I think he takes it seriously. That's another serious comment. This is a rebuke of the highest order. Those who treat the Lord's Supper in a casual way, those who treat each other poorly during the Lord's Supper, as the Corinthian believers were, will incur severe discipline from the Lord. And that word discipline is something that you need to know about, too, because what do you think about when you think about discipline? Most people, when they think about discipline, think about punishment. The Lord's going to punish you. The Lord does not punish believers in Christ. He does not. So how can we test ourselves to see if we are partaking of the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner? Because... As we enter the Lord's Supper, that's the first thing that we ought to be thinking about. Am I about to take on the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner? 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. 28. But a man, this is talking about an individual, must examine himself. That's women too. And in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink the cup. So first, before we go into eating the bread and drinking the cup, we examine ourselves. Where do we examine ourselves? At the foot of the cross. We look up at the cross, we remember what happened there, and we say, was I worthy of that? I wasn't. All right, so I'm looking at the people in my life. Are they worthy of my unconditional love? They're not. They are not. So now when you get that, you're acting like the Lord. Because the Lord knew you weren't worthy and went to the cross anyway. And when you know the people in your life aren't worthy and you go to the cross anyway, you are reflecting the Lord. That's what's talking about here. Now, the, the word examine in this, but a man must examine himself. And in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. The word examine in Greek is dokimazo. You heard that word earlier in the lesson. It's a reference to a test to see if gold is real or counterfeit. You know, there are people who have been handed counterfeit gold who thought it was real gold. And then when you subject it to a dokimazo, to a test, you find out that it was fake. Amen? Amen? So when we examine our conduct as human beings, we can justify anything we do. And we do. We have all these little cute expressions that we say, well, everything happens for a reason. (laughs) That's one of the ones I hate the most. I don't even know what that means. But it's what stupid people say when they're trying to convince themselves that everything they're doing is okay. Well, what if our standard for examining ourselves was to examine ourselves through the Lord's eyes? What does the Lord see when he looks at our conduct? That's a much better test. You know what the Lord is looking at? Are you real or are you fake? Dokimazo. He's testing the gold to see if it's real or it's fake. And that's exactly what he's going to do with you at the judgment seat of Christ. There's stuff you've done in your life that was real. And there's stuff you've done in your life that was fake. And when he sets all the stuff you've done on fire, what's going to remain is all the stuff you did that was real. And what's going to burn up is all the stuff that was fake, because no fake is allowed in heaven. So, the Lord's Supper is a time for reflection. And as individuals, we ask ourselves, how am I treating the people in my life? How am I treating my family? How am I treating my friends? How am I treating my enemies? How am I treating the people that don't agree with me about everything? How am I treating the people I think of as lesser on the social totem pole? are you real or are you fake? I was talking to one of my roommates from college and the last time I saw him was probably 1978. So what's that, 42 years ago? Long time ago. It's always funny to talk to people you haven't talked to a long time and they think they know you 42 years later. They're talking about you when you were in college and they think it's you today and it's just really funny but one of the things he did is he was talking about his feelings about President Trump. And I just listened to him. Now, I didn't agree with a single thing he said about it, but I just listened to him because he deserves the respect that his opinion is valid based on the information that he has. And where he got his information from, I'm quite sure, is a media establishment that is completely against the president of the United States, who's been railing against him for four years. And I don't care who you are. If I put you in a room for four years and I came in every day and told you, you were a jerk at the end of the four years, you would think that you were a jerk. This is the way it works. And so when the media keeps telling us what to think, and they're telling us what to think all the time, when you keep exposing yourself to that, You're going to think that way. That's why you come here. You come here to the washing machine of the word of God so they can rinse out all those lies out of your head so you can stop thinking that stuff that does not work, couldn't work in a million years. So are you real or are you fake? I remember when I was back in the broadcast industry, I was selling radio advertising for CBS in Chicago. I was in the first or second year of my career, and I did not know one single thing about selling. Nothing. I was just, I didn't want to be in sales, and I was in sales, and I didn't know anything about sales, and now I have to sell. And so I have this sales call at the Palmer House in Chicago, which is this big regal building in Chicago, and you know, when you go in there, it's like, wow. And so as I'm walking in, there's a guy Uh, replacing some light bulbs on a ladder, and he's an older guy, and the ladder did not look stable to me. And so he's trying to reach down awkwardly to get some lights, and it just looked like a mess. And so I just stopped, and I said, hey, can I help you? Can I hand you the light bulbs? And he said, yeah, that would be really helpful. I said, because I don't want you falling off the ladder. And I said, because I don't, you know... I, there was no mobile phones at that time, so what am I going to do? I don't want to be running over trying to find a phone so I can call because you might be dead by the time I get back. And he, he was laughing about it. So I'm handing him things, and he says, so what are you doing here? I said, I'm calling on a business right at the end of the hall. He said, really? What, what is the business? I told him. He said, oh, what do they do? So I told him. He said, ah, who are you seeing in there? I told him. And he said, well, that's interesting. So what are you trying to do? I said, I want, I want to sell them some radio advertising if they need it. I think we could help because they appeal to businessmen 25 to 54 years old who are upscale, affluent, and that's our audience. So they might be able to get something that would help them sell their products by being on our station. He said, yeah, well, that guy that, that you're talking to, I hear he's kind of a jerk. I said, well, I don't really know him, but it never really bothers me if somebody's a jerk because jerks spend money just like nice people do, so (laughs) that doesn't bother me. I'm not going in there to judge him. I'm going in there to see if I can help him. He said, well, that's interesting. He said, well, thanks for your help, young man. You're you're a fine young man, and uh, you're probably raised by great parents. I said, I was actually raised by my mom and not my dad, but she is most definitely a fine parent. And I just thank you for saying that. So I go in, and I'm meeting with the guy uh, who's the president of this company. And uh, about midway through the meeting, this, the janitor walks in the office. And I'm in shock. You know, was like, he, And he just barged into the office. And so he said uh, the, the guy that I was talking to was his son. And he owned the business, and his son runs the business, and he said to his son, whatever he proposes, buy it. This is a young man that we want a relationship with. You see, you don't, you don't ever really know who you're talking to. Now, I didn't have to treat him nice. People always ask, my clients have always asked me, why do you speak to the, the help? You know, and we're walking around their facility and I'm speaking to everybody. Why do you speak to the help? Um, is this a trick question? <laughs> no, why do you sp- talk to the, because they're human beings? <laughs> are you real or are you fake? So when you're examining yourself, you're thinking about how you really treat people, how you are. And how you really treat people is how you are when those people make a mistake. It's not how you are when they're doing cool stuff. It's how you are when they make a mistake. That'll tell you everything you want to know about your character. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge his treatment of the body of Christ rightly. Okay, so a shift is happening. When we examine ourselves rightly as individuals, we know that we wouldn't be worthy of anything if, and so if we're reflecting the Lord's thoughts properly, we know this. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 says that in God's eyes, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's no racial distinction. There is neither slave nor free man. There's no social distinction. There is neither male nor female. There's no gender distinction, for you are all one. You are all in a state of unity, one body, the body of Christ, for all those in union with Christ. We, when we become believers in Christ, we are in union with Christ, and we're members of a body. And we're a different part of the body. Maybe we're the hand, or maybe we're the head. No, we're not the head. Jesus is the head. But maybe we're the neck, the part that makes the head look around. Maybe we're the toe. Maybe the baby toe, but we're a part of the body and we have a function. You know, your baby toe doesn't seem like it does much until you stub it, huh? Then all of a sudden you get real clear on what it does and how it grips when you're walking. So with God, he sees everybody the same. He doesn't care what your bank balance is or what your race is. He created race and he created nationalities, but he did not intend for us to use those against each other. The Lord invites us to the Lord's table where all are equal, and it is an ideal on which the United States of America is founded. In the Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all are created equal, and they're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, and among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Or as Peter put it in Acts chapter 10 verse 34, opening his mouth, his big mouth, as he always did, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. That's the God we have. How does he want us to treat people equally? He wants us to treat people like he treats people. Who can be saved? Whosoever. As much as we may not like it, how we treat. Believers that we despise matters. The Lord thinks so. To judge, then, in verse 29, invites us to distinguish one thing from another, to realize that God's thoughts are higher than the world's thoughts and higher than our thoughts. So are you thinking like God when you're treating other people, or are you thinking like the world? Or worse, are you thinking like yourself? The Lord wants us to treat others in a way that reflect his thoughts. How does the Lord handle it when we mistreat other people? 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30. For this reason, for not discerning our treatment of others within the body of Christ and not reflecting Christ. Many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you are dying. How does he treat believers who mistreat believers? He takes them out. He makes them sick. In other words, he disciplines them. See, the conversation in verse 30 shifts from the individual to the congregation. The you here is plural. The Lord wants all of us to partake of the Lord's Supper with the right attitude. The right attitude toward God, the right attitude toward self, the right attitude toward others. Those are our three responsibilities. And when we operate with the wrong attitude, which is selfishness and divisiveness, there is divine discipline. 1 Corinthians 11.31, but if we were examining ourselves as a congregation rightly, we would not be disciplined by God. Self-examination is not selfish. It considers others. Self-examination during the Lord's Supper looks at the lesson of the cross, which is a lesson of sacrifice. It calls us as individuals and as a congregation to examine the sacrifices we are making for others. Here in Baran Ministries, we've been taking in the Word of God for a really long time. But if you look at how we operate now that we have the Word of God in us, it's selfish. We don't invite people here, you know, rarely. we, we Sometimes we do, and we've been doing it more lately than we have in the past. But, you know, if this is a great message, if this is a pastor who's teaching truth, If this is real people with a real pastor learning the real truth of the Word of God, why aren't we bringing five people every week? You can't tell me you don't have five people in your life who are special to you. Why aren't you bringing them? Why aren't you telling people about this? This is good news. Because people are freaking in the world. All they're hearing is, we're going to get locked down. Now, you're hearing that and you're freaking. You're afraid. Fear doesn't exist in the love complex. There's no fear in unconditional love. For unconditional love casts out fear. We're not afraid. What are we afraid of? Joe Biden? We're not afraid of Joe Biden. We're not afraid of Kamala Harris. We're not afraid of the presidency of the United States. We're not afraid of a virus. We're not afraid of getting locked down. We're afraid of nothing. We have the sovereign God of the universe on our side who has promised with his integrity that he will take care of you regardless of circumstances and regardless of environment. Okay, so lock me up in a prison. What's going to happen? I'm going to get everything I need. Why? Because my Lord promised that he would provide it. Somebody will sneak me a Bible. Somebody will sneak me in a light, a light because I will be in solitary confinement most of the time for killing people who touch me. Amen. And I will get the Bible I need, I'll get the light I need, I'll get the food I need, because God will provide it. Now, what we're about to go into in 2021 is a lot better than that. You think God's not going to provide for you? You think he's going to let you lose your house? You think he's going to let you lose your business? It's not happening. Expect victory. You need to expect victory, and you don't. And you know why you don't? Because you watch too much TV. Stop watching TV. Stop listening to liars and getting scared in your soul. Tell people about Christ. 1 Corinthians 11.32 But when we are judged by the Lord as operating in a way that does not reflect His character and nature, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. What is Discipline. Discipline is training in a character pattern. The Lord desires a character pattern of selflessness from his servants. The Lord does not punish his servants. He trains them up as if they are children. That's what discipline really means in Greek, training, the training of a child. Train up a child in, a way, in the way he should go, and even when he's older, he won't depart from it. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 and 6 say this, My son... Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by Him. Hebrews 12:6. For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines, and He scourges with a whip every son He calls to Himself. Why is that? You can tell you are a good parent if you are training up your children in a character pattern, and sometimes that involves discipline, and discipline involves using their gluteus maximus as a target. And You can't be hitting them with a a kitchen spoon. That doesn't hurt. You got to light their little buns up like a Christmas tree so that they respect you. And they fear you first, and then it will turn into respect. And what does that keep them from doing? It keeps them from having a miserable life because they're living an undisciplined life. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24. This is God speaking directly to parents. He who withholds spanking with a rod hates his son. Did you hear that word? Hates. But he who loves his son unconditionally disciplines him diligently. Now, I personally do not believe in spanking teenagers. I think that's humiliating to teenagers. But zero to 12 plus 364 days, their booty is mine. Amen? Amen? Light it up. Amen, brother. Yes, that's right. Cause he knows. And see, the the cool thing about disciplining kids that way is you only have to do it about five times. Then after that, you just have to look at them. <laughs> if I told them get it, get me the stick, they knew what that meant. And you know, I. I I don't want to... Nobody wants to spank a kid. Nobody wants to spank a kid. And I never spanked my kids when I was angry. There was one time I was so mad I wanted to kill them. And I said, give me the stick. And then I just said, yeah, forget it. Go ahead. Because I'm going to kill you if I start. So let's just forget it. But look, train them in a character pattern. That's what the Lord does with us. And training is really important and training is tough you know if you're training for a marathon you're not going out and jogging two miles you're you're running 13 miles on the way up to the marathon and that's not even enough you know that when you get in the 18th mile of that marathon a stitch is going to come up and grab you in the side and say stop breathing And then when you get to the twenty-six mile and it's 345 yards to go, you, everything inside of you is saying, quit. Your body is, why are we doing this? So the lack of a rod leads to an undisciplined life for our children. The Lord would never consider not disciplining his children. He has very effective ways of getting our attention. 1 Corinthians 11.33, So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, you are commanded by God to wait for one another. What does it mean to wait for one another? Stop the selfishness. Stop the divisiveness. Stop the social discrimination. Stop the elitism. Paul expects sharing among the congregation during the Lord's Supper celebration, as is the conduct of those who have had the ultimate sacrifice shared with them the body and the blood of Christ. 1 Corinthians 11:34. If anyone's hungry, let him eat at home, so that you won't come together for judgment. The remaining matters I'll arrange when I come. If all eating is about for you is food, if all drinking is about for you is getting drunk, eat at home. If food is about fellowship and selflessness and unity and sharing, come together. You are reflecting the Lord. We are all one for all. We are all for one. Unity is the message of this entire chapter. Well, the closing moments of our lesson are the most important part of our lesson because we want you to know that God wants you. And what God wants from you is that you make the most important decision of your life, which is a decision concerning where you spend eternity. Because where you spend eternity matters to God because you matter to God. You are God's hero. You are God's creation. And he wants you to be saved. In John chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, the Lord Jesus Christ is talking to a woman at a well, a Samaritan woman whom the Jews hated and wanted nothing to do with. And besides, he's a man talking to a woman. And in that time, that was forbidden And after a brief introduction, the Lord said to the woman, everyone who drinks of the water in this well will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, and he's talking about the water of the word, the gospel message, which you're hearing right now, shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to the resurrection life. That's one of the things I like about being a pastor, is I'm teaching you right now the gospel message. And if you respond positively to it, and become a believer in christ about 30 years from now when you're on just before you go into the morphine drip that's going to usher you into the next uh the 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 next part of life eternal life you're going to completely forget that i was the one who told you about christ and you may even forget that you're a believer in christ if you stop coming to church but you're going to be saved that's what this message is all about it is the Lord's will for you to live with Him in heaven forever when you close your eyes in this life. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 say this. This is what's good and acceptable in the sight of the God who is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who desires all men to be saved and who desires all men to come to the knowledge of the truth. Does that sound like a punishing God to you? It doesn't sound like one to me. But here's the question. Is religion the way to be saved? Is religion the truth? Billions of people in this world are part of religions, probably about 5 billion of the 7 billion, and many of them believe that religion and its rituals are their ticket into heaven. They embrace religious beliefs that tell them how to live a spiritual life. The religion claims either that there is a God or there are many gods, but the religion does not discuss how to have a personal relationship with God. I was talking to a guy this week who grew up Roman Catholic, And he was asking me, very intrigued about the fact that I was a pastor. And so I started evangelizing to him. And I said, Yeah, in the Roman Catholic Church, they have a false Jesus. And I didn't know that. And I was in there for 21 years. And there was a priest who was telling me, Go study the Bible and see if you want to stay here. And I did, and I left. Because it's not the false Jesus and the sacraments that get you to heaven. It's believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe in a moment in time and the result is you're saved forever. And he said, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean, you know, but I'm a good person. I said, well, the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and there's none righteous, not even one. So that says you're not a good person at all. And if you realize you're not a good person, you need a savior. He crossed his arm. Don't worry. I'll get him to uncross his arms. We're going to see him in heaven. I'll introduce you to him. Now, religions propose that if you don't do everything their God expects, that he will be quite disappointed. And regardless of your best efforts to follow the religious rituals, which you can't and don't do, Even if you did them, all the the religion does, uh, all of the religions don't guarantee that following the rituals will get you to heaven. Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ saves you. The truth the Lord wants you to know is how to be saved, how to get to heaven when you close your eyes in this life. And he sent me to tell you about it. Getting to heaven when you close your eyes in this life is as simple as a nine-word conversation with God the Father. Luke chapter 23, verses 42 and 43 talk about a thief who was being crucified next to the Lord on the cross. The thief being crucified next to Jesus was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Nine words that got him saved. Luke twenty-three forty-three. Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you today, You will be with me in paradise. Just a nine-word conversation with God can get you into heaven. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Or if you prefer, it's a five-word conversation with God the Father. Father, I believe in Christ. Simply believe, which means take God's word for what it takes to be saved. And that is the moment of eternal life for you. Now, who is this God that saves you? The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. He says this, I, Paul, deliver to you as of first importance the gospel message I also received, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the Scripture, and that he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the Scriptures. So if you reject the relationship offer of Jesus Christ, the relationship offer that he makes to you free of charge, he will honor your rejection. Matthew chapter 13, verses 49 and 50 say this, So it will be then at the end of the age, the elect angels will come forth and take out the wicked, a description of unbelievers, from among the righteous, believers in Christ. Matthew thirteen fifty, And will throw the wicked into the furnace of fire, and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. On the other hand, once the Lord saves you, no matter how hard you try, you cannot lose your salvation. John chapter 10 verse 28 says, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, give the resurrection life, eternal life, to believers in Christ, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And anyone who tells you that you can lose your salvation is lying to you. So follow the advice of Acts chapter 16 verse 31, which says this, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. It is not religion that gets you to heaven. It's relationship. Relationship with the one and only Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Have that conversation with him right now and you will be saved. Well, let's close with music. Romans chapter 8, verse 18 reminds us, that our suffering in this world is temporary. It says, I, Paul, know for a fact that the sufferings of this present time, both right now and throughout the church age, which is described by the Bible as this present evil age, are now worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us believers in Christ in the future. Here's June Murphy to remind us in song how to handle things when you suffer.
5: If the world comes to hate you remember it hated me first I came to seek and save the lost not to condemn or hurt if you are persecuted you should not consider it strange remember what I've done on the cross My perspective you can gain When you suffer Suffer for my name Consider it an honor Do not complain Just remember What I've done on the cross You can pick up your on these things when you suffer when you suffer when you stand in the truth of God enemies you will gain learn not to take it personally for at me then take an aim so chalk it up as part of the price you pay for being mine you can become an overcomer when your power source is divine when you suffer suffer for my name consider it an honor Not complain, just remember what I've done on the cross. You can pick up your cross too. Think on these things when you suffer, when you suffer. Remember as a lamb led to slaughter. I did not open my mouth. I was silent before my shearers. Let there be no doubt that I was separated from my Father for three dark hours on the cross. Do not forget the privilege, the privilege of counting the cost. for my name consider
0: suffering. <laughs> when you suffer. That was awesome. Thank you. A doxology of praise to our Lord, Romans fifteen five. now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant all of you believers in Christ to be of the same mind with one another, to think the exact same way, operating in harmony, according to your union, with Christ Jesus. Romans 15:6 So that with one accord believers in Christ may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 15:7 Therefore keep on accepting one another and keep on receiving one another just as Christ also keeps on accepting us with his unconditional love to the glory of God the Father. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, we thank you for opening our spiritual eyes to the truth. We thank you for giving us courage in Satan's kingdom. We thank you for reminding us that you have our backs, that you love us unconditionally, that you've forgiven us in the past and we stand forgiven forever, that there's no condemnation, and that when we make mistakes, you offer the hand of grace. Help us. To learn how to treat other people, especially our family members and those closest to us, the way you treat us. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming. Thanks for watching. And thanks for listening.